Welcome to the Oakleaf Partnership Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Amy Morris and today I'm speaking to Megan Phelps, a MIA Director of Talent at Adelman. Megan's career has spanned a number of sectors including civil service, government, construction and more recently media and PR. Not only does she have a full-on EMEA-focused role, the last few years has allowed her to let out her inner writing, publishing through her blog's 2022 letters. I've had the privilege of knowing Megan for a number of years now. I think that her journey is both insightful and inspiring, hence why I'm delighted to have her with me today. So welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thanks for having me, Amy. You're more than welcome. So as we start with all uh, podcasts, it would be great just to hear an introduction from you and your journey so far. Sure, and I think when people uh, hear the number of sectors I've been in, they kind of go, oh, that's a different um, journey, which I think will probably be a theme of what I talk about today. But, you know, I think in in a lot of ways, and a lot of people have this experience, and again, another theme of what I'll talk about today, I fell into my career. I was at university doing an English degree, which was lovely and generalist and didn't know what to do. and applied to a few graduate schemes and was really lucky to get on the civil service fast stream in the HR uh, scheme and thought oh that sounds quite good I quite like politics I quite like uh, I quite like being um, in the heart of something purposeful I'll do that and genuinely found the thing that I really love and it sounds really cheesy and simple to say but I think HR is of course about people, but it's also about how organizations really get the best out of people, which is what I absolutely love about what I do. As you said, I spent five and a bit years in government. I was really lucky to do some amazing roles in the home office. Um, I worked in number 10 and then everyone always goes, oh, tell us those stories. And they aren't (laughs) actually that juicy. Other than that, I learned a huge amount about myself and building resilience when people Uh, were you know rather busy dealing with quite critical international things Um, but it made me go I want more than this it gave me a sense of ambition and drive and so I was really lucky to follow my then mentor to Keir which was a very very different environment to the civil service Uh, it was highly commercial low margin business and I really had to learn very quickly simple things like what a P&L was and how do businesses make money and what is a share price. And those things really grounded me in being a really great commercial business partner. Um, but also I'd say to anybody thinking about this who's in either sector now, I truly believe as an HR professional you can be both and do lots of different things. As long as you're open to learning about a business and getting under the skin of what it does, which is what Keir really taught me to do. And I had an amazing two and a half years there, um, but didn't really feel like I found the purposeful place that I wanted to be in. And I ended up back in government because I love purpose-based businesses that really connect to my values, which I'm sure I'll talk about later. Um, And I did a year during Brexit, which was a joy. Uh, I did a huge amount of workforce planning, policy, and government, if nothing else, taught me really how to get great structure, great process in place. Um, But my cultural home wasn't there. I I just didn't feel like I'd found the place that I felt at home. And then it was the wonderful Amy that helped me find <laughs> Clear Channel, which truly was, and I truly found my cultural home there. And by that, I mean, I found a place where I could really be myself. And I'll 
talk about this later, but that ability to really get vulnerable to who I really was, both as an individual and as a professional at work, I think has brought out the best in me. And not only did I build that deeper experience in talent and organizational development, but I also really built a sense of who I wanted to be at work and who I was as a leader. And I'm incredibly grateful for that period of time. Of course, that time was also during a COVID pandemic, Mm. uh, a rather tumultuous period at that organization that was going through um, separating from its parent company and listing on the New York Stock Exchange, going through a lot of uh, rounds of funding to to try and fund the debt we had in the business. And so the whole theme of that organization was change as it is in many organizations but particularly for me it was also about change um it was the right time for me to move on i wanted to find somewhere where i could really own the agenda for myself and i found edelman because i wanted to feel connected to that kind of culture fast-paced global matrix organization but get deep into talent which is the thing i really love Mm. i've not said already but I've done both business partnering roles and centre of excellence roles but talent is where I feel like I'm at home you get to do the best bits of the conversations but you also get to bring out the best in people and I love the small stories I have of people at all levels of the organisation that I've helped to genuinely change their life through that little move I helped them make or whatever it might have been and so that's why I do what I do at Edelman but what I love about the job I do now is that talent is truly connected to the organization design and the way the operating model is unlocked and how we really make success of the business strategy. So that is a little bit about me and where I've got to. Fab, thank you. That's um, great to hear your story. And I suppose this leans very nicely into the next question around what hurdles and challenges you've you've seen and experienced during that time. Mm -hmm. It would be good to understand the ones that maybe haven't always gone quite as well, but equally the ones that maybe you feel have stuck out because of your gender a bit more because you're a female in those environments yeah absolutely i think the first thing i'd say to anybody is i had a very set view in my mind when i started my career about what i wanted to do and when and how i wanted to do it and knowing that the path isn't always going to go the way you want it to go is a hard lesson to learn but usually you've learned something through it about what is or isn't right for you um i don't usually talk i don't talk about this that often but amy knows this very well i took a job at an organization that i knew quite quickly wasn't right for me and i use that example with people when i'm coaching them just to help them see that it's okay to recognize it's not okay and it's it's a brave thing and a positive thing for you to go you know what this isn't right um, and being true to yourself means you're going to get the best out of yourself with the organization you're in i think the other thing that i found particularly working in certain cultures where um, particularly gender balance is uh, harder particularly construction for all of the obvious reasons Keir had a goal at the time of getting 80-20 gender balance, or sorry, it was at 80-20 and it was trying to get to 70-30 male to female, which on paper actually seems really extreme, but in a construction industry that's, that's not, that is still quite challenging. And I remember having experiences being at the time quite young. Uh, I looked young, I, I, you can't see me, but I've got long blonde hair, and I think everyone, I, I definitely experienced moments where I thought, oh, being a woman, a woman in business 
I've never experienced it in government. It's one of the places where truly I think you can be whoever you want to be and the journey that the public sector has gone on in terms of diversity and, and respecting difference is incredible. But I had expected everywhere to be like that. Mm. And I walked in and went, oh, this is different. But also I learned a lot from it about what that means to have that micro experience and what that meant for the macro culture and environment. So I think that's the second thing I'd say is know when um, you're sensing something in yourself because it's likely there are other people feeling it. And as an HR professional, I truly believe that you are the conscience of the organisation. You're there to pick up what's going on internally because a lot of the time that microcosm of what's going on in you and your team is being felt elsewhere and those hurdles and challenges are the moments that you feel that so while it can feel quite hard to emotionally take that burden on that conscience it can also be really powerful when you take a step out of the vortex and go what's going on here so that's the second thing I'd say uh anyone that knows me very well knows that I work at painful pace uh, to my own detriment, it's probably an overdone stroke, is the way I describe <laughs> it. But the advice I try and give myself is knowing when going slow to go fast is the, is the right outcome. And that can mean at a real macro career level. As a woman, I wanted to accelerate as quickly as I could to the a lead role, you know. And my goal continues to be wanting to be a CPO of a big organisation in the future. But my perspective on being able to achieve that has changed because sometimes I recognise slowing it down actually can accelerate it in the future. But that could also mean at a micro level, take a breath before you send that email that starts with the, hi, sorry to ask this. And we've all seen the uh, narrative around you know how women write emails with far more um, deferential to themselves language. Sometimes I know if I just take a step back to look at what I've written or how I'm about to present myself, I will come across way more impactful mm. um, as a result of that. So sometimes stopping can get you further along the journey. Um, and I suppose the final thing to say is knowing when it's the right time to move on. I dwelled on Clear Channel as probably my most transformational role and organisation. I could have stayed there for a long time and I felt so comfortable there. I had a true, like, wonderful team, wonderful boss, uh, and the partnerships we were creating, great stakeholder relationships. But sometimes getting uncomfortable again is what was going to help me get to the next stage of where I wanted to get to. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately, I needed to do that. My uh, mentor always gives me the advice, Meg, if you're looking in the mirror every day, continually and you're not being challenged or there's not that one meeting that makes you go oh that's going to be a hard one today I'm going to really have to think about that or prepare for that it's time to think about what you want next that's right for me that might not be right for everyone else mm. but that means that the environment around me I'm it's all on me and it's all about me testing myself so ultimately knowing when it's the right time to move on for you I think is the other thing I would say Fab, thanks. Just to pick up on something that you mentioned there around the difference between government and, and private sector, yeah. is there anything that the private sector could learn from maybe the government in terms of its environment around mm. equality? Yeah, I think equity? there's a few things that are ingrained in what government does uh, by nature of we are serving society 
a colloquial level, I call it the Daily Mail test, right? We would say that internally, but at a more serious level, ultimately we're going, is this right for the people that we are serving in the organization? And that would be embedded into the absolute DNA of how the organization worked. So I think there was a sense of purpose to that, that meant that the, and we talk a lot around DEI and business casing it. I never felt like I had to business case it there because it was such a proven concept. We work for the UK citizens as a civil servant and so you are there. And if you're ever questioning what is my business case in DEI, that's where I would go because most organisations are touching a huge swathe of society in one way or another. You could be working in a fintech, your technology is touching, mm. so you use gender diversity, women and men how is it going to make sure that it's connecting to that in terms of the product development all the way through to retail mm-hmm. you know we've seen all the campaigns around um you know dove did a beautiful campaign around love my skin yeah whatever wherever you're working there's always some sense of purpose to it um i work in a pr firm now so we and i obviously am a writer and we'll come on to that but storytelling is incredibly powerful i think the other thing that government did really beautifully that i've taken through is telling the stories of the people in the organization where having true equity, inclusion in an environment where you can bring your true self to work, but in a totally diverse environment as well, it's not all the same people, yeah. um, was through the stories we told that at every level. And it was, of course, leadership have that impact, but giving young people a voice, giving diverse you know all diverse backgrounds of voice I think allowed people to see internally and externally that it was truly respected Mm. and that's been a thread of what I do in in my work around talent and change because you know the human race is built around stories we we write we we tell each other stories every day you'll get on the phone now and you'll hear yourself when you've listened to this and you're on your next team's call I can absolutely guarantee you will tell a story without realizing it Mm. And we connect to that. So that's the way I would say government did it beautifully that I've tried to take into the private sector as I've moved forward. Yeah, brilliant. There's a there's a great Bernie Brown quote actually around storytelling and mm. um, the podcast that I did with Uma touched on that as well. But yeah. you're totally right. People, um, it, it's a comfort blanket, isn't it, to, to talk through a story? Cause yes, it's, um, but it's authentic as well. Yeah. Because if you're, or if you're struggling to find the story go and talk to somebody else. I remember having a conversation with one of my senior team at Clear Channel and we were trying to get them all to find their story. And I said to him, if you can't find it, go and talk to your daughter about what she wants to be when she grows up. And it was like a light bulb moment because suddenly he looked at it in a different way. It wasn't about his career, it was about the future career she wanted to have. Yeah and the challenges she may or may not face as a result of that. Mm. And he talked about that story. I remember during the George Floyd um, uh, news, when it all came out in the news, our CEO, uh, William, was a historian. He, he did uh, history at university, and he, he talked about the fact that he was going to go and educate himself as a historian on truly what black history was, mm. um, and was very authentic to the fact that he felt embarrassed that he didn't know enough. And I thought that was incredibly powerful. And it's those moments that you remember. I can remember that. I don't remember the 
communications we sent last week on it. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, team-wide email. Exactly, no one remembers that. They remember no. those little moments. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you have touched on this already about um, wanting a lead role. You mentioned earlier on that you want, still want to be the CPO, but mm. was that always in you from day one? And, and what does that mean to you? That I think day one, I laugh and I say this now, I think I wanted to be like a CEO. <laughs> I, don't, I, think I just wanted to be. I think I probably would have said I wanted to be prime minister, um, and I genuinely, it, what it meant to me. I mean, ultimately, it, why it's changed is because a, I'm doing it for myself now and not for the sort of validation of others, and that has been a journey in myself around what work means to me and the identity I, and the connection I have to it. Okay. Um, and the reason why I want to do what I want to do now, which is to be a CPO, is because that's where I feel I personally can have most impact, impact, but also where I personally get mostly fulfilled. You know, it's incredibly tiring to do something you don't want to do. It's incredibly tiring to be somebody you don't want to be. And so for me, my perspective has changed and the pace of me getting there has changed, ultimately because I've recognised that I was probably doing it because I wanted to get the validation from someone else that Meg's got the next promotion or Meg's got a pay rise or whatever it might have been. Mm. And ultimately, I kind of, over time, looked on it and went, but why does it matter what all these people think? Yeah. And don't get me wrong, that's so much easier said than done. Um, I think at a more surface level, I've also recognised the desire to want to go deep in topics where I feel like I can then really truly with legitimacy talk to later on in my career I'm really glad I'm going deep into talent it's what I love Um, I'm lucky that in some respects the pandemic has really brought talent to the surface as the problem that organizations have in terms of attracting and retaining them um, rather than trying to go broad a lot that's just my that's how I work equally a lot of other people might want to go broad because they don't feel the need to go as deep. I want to be a specialist in something before I do that big job. So at least I've got that pillar mm. that I can hold true to. But I also recognise I can't go deep in everything. I'm yeah. never going to do deep reward because I don't want to. Um, and because I know that I can always build a team around me with amazing people that can help me do that. Um, the other thing I always say is I didn't know I was going to be in this many sectors. This was intentional now, but it wasn't at the time. Um, I love the fact that I've got that breadth. People look at my CV and go, oh, it's a bit different. Um, But ultimately, it's helped me find what's right and what's not right. Um, I don't think you should be afraid of it. Um, But it's also helped me find the kind of commercial environment I like, the purpose environment, the kind of purpose I'm looking for, and also what culturally I value and don't value, what gets me, what rubs me up the wrong way, and what are my compromise points, what are the things I will not compromise in terms of the kind of leadership I work with and the Mm. kind of strategy I work with. So ultimately that's meant I need to go a bit slower, to Mm -hmm. take my own advice, uh, to allow me to find that right place in the end. Yeah. Have you ever come across any um, negativity around you working across a few different sectors? Definitely. I think I think it I can understand why it happens to be fair because if you've grown up in an environment where you've always been in one sector and there is a real importance to understanding that context um, then you know that's that's perspective. I always say you know this when you help me hire people um, I don't care where they've worked as long as they've got certain context of 
you know, in my scenario situation now, global complex matrix, yeah. um, fast paced and lack of process, lack of hierarchy and bureaucracy. That for me is more important than the fact that they know what PR and consulting is, mm. because that's the easy bit to learn. The hard bit to learn is how do you navigate through a matrix. Yeah. Um, but yes, I have had time, and at times I get frustrated by it. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you let me work there? I know I can understand it, but that could be a naivety I don't understand. Mm. That said, I think I've probably made one of the most extreme switches of going from the cabinet office to a media organisation <laughs> that had just been listed that didn't know how to work in a listed context that was in media. Um, I think it's about who you're working with and for. Yes. They, that team helped me make that transition so beautifully in a really safe way. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would always say just, you know, there's no harm in trying. You might work out you love it, so... Yeah, yeah. You might be really good at it. Who yeah, knows? you could be really good at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you talk. You mentioned about slowing the pace down. Mm. Not to put words in your mouth, but maybe making more considered considered choices around sending that email or making that 100%. that um, that decision. Your writing, um, which you've been doing over the last couple of years. Mm. How do you manage your work and home life? Yeah, and writing for me is a really good emotional touch point. When I'm not writing, and I should probably reflect on that, I haven't for a well, I've done a little bit, but not as much as I would like to. It probably means something else is going on. Hmm. Either it's got too busy at work, or I've not looked after myself enough. Um, and I always think people need to find that thing that they get their real, true energy from. Where you find that, I call it being in flow, right? That moment where you go, oh my goodness, where's the time gone? Hmm. Um, what is that to you? Um, you know, my things are, and some of them are very structured and very simple, which I'm sure others do, like, find the moments to enjoy other things in your life. Work is a huge part of my identity and the thing I genuinely love and is one of the things I can truly say I think I'm quite good at. I am not so good at running, I'm alright, but <laughs> I do love it and it gives me, it's meditative to me, as is cycling, it's a passion I found with my father who's been doing it for years and, um, I structure my life around those things to make sure I find the time for them. That means sometimes I have to not do the meeting at 5.30. Mm. But if it's there, then I can do it. And again, the, you know, the go slow to go fast thing applies there. If you're half not in the meeting because you were really hoping to go to the yoga class that you can't get to anymore, you're probably not going to be as good as if you delayed it till the next day. Appreciating there is always a sometimes you've just got to get on with it. Um, Family is a huge part of my life. It gives me a huge sense of um, fulfillment. And as I mentioned, my dad, we're incredibly close. We cycle together every weekend and that will never, as long as he can cycle and I can cycle, that won't ever change. Um, having a supportive partner who gives me the space. Um, my partner Sam is self-employed, so I live in this annoying world where he gets to do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. Uh, but he totally respects the different environments we work in and allows me to have that space for the peak moments where it's really busy and the downtime where I probably annoy him. <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes we've all been there where we've gone, I've got to work late, I can't go to that dinner. But like I said, sometimes spending that time with a friend can give you a better answer in the morning because you've been more reflective for it. I say all of that, it's a huge work in progress for me. I don't have it perfectly, but I know now they're the things that help me um, make me a, a better person in the morning when I walk into work. I don't have kids, so 
and they're things that I definitely obviously I want I, well not obviously I want kids in the future but I know having the network around me to support me will massively help me in the future and it'll just be about finding a different pace finding the work environment that allows you to find that structure and pace is also incredibly important working at Edelman and certainly at Clear Channel I know that they are environments and were environments that would have supported me having that flexibility mm. um, and I think there has been a massive step change in how organisations support uh, families and um, particularly uh, parents of young children um, if you're ever well, my view is if you're ever questioning whether the organisation will or won't support it you're probably not in the right place yeah yeah good point <laughs> Um, so you talk about finding your cultural home, mm. being able to be vulnerable. Um, how have you developed your authentic voice and how have you used it? Yeah, I think this is where I probably get a bit vulnerable here and it's taken me a long time to talk openly about it, but um, I think people get surprised that I've been so successful when I say this and it makes me sad that uh, that happens. but. I was diagnosed with an eating disorder when I was 15 and it was a long old journey of plus 15 years of therapy and going into hospital and I was really really ashamed of it for a long time and I think I hid it from work because I thought it was going to hinder me. Actually what I've discovered in the last few years particularly and certainly when I was at Clear Channel where it gave me that space to truly kind of make that last transformational step is finding my voice in it actually makes me more powerful more authentic and while sometimes and even now I can feel the discomfort in me talking about it um, it's actually meant that people feel more connected to me as a leader and as somebody that works in a space where you know talent is um, what I do uh, and the number of people that have either come up to me as a result of being open about it saying I'm so grateful you did this because it makes me realise that even if I've got X or my mother's got Y or whatever might be going on, that it's still possible. Mm. And that to uh, the number of people that have a story that they've not shared, that's allowed me to then really connect to what my values are, um, what I will or won't compromise, and allow me to put the right boundaries in place to make sure that my health will always be number one beyond everything else that was used to be above it. Yeah. Uh, that makes me a better person at work. Um, I think I am the typical what you see when you think of an eating disorder. You, again, you can't see me, but you know I'm tall, I'm slim, I'm you know insecure, overachiever, and it's kind of how I describe myself. Um, and so that kind of paints a picture of what you expect of me. But when people hear me talk about it, I think they go, oh gosh, there's so much more to this. And it's made me a better coach to leaders because I can pick up on insights that are unconscious. Um, it's made me a better coach to myself. And one of the, I remember my old boss saying this to me so much. She was like, Megan, you are your best and worst coach. You're your worst coach because you don't do it. But when you do it, you know yourself better than anybody else. And the insights you've got on yourself are amazing. That journey of me going on of hospital therapy and everything else has made me incredibly insightful to who I am. Mm. But ultimately, it means my work environment fits me rather than it being the other way around. Um, you mentioned Brene Brown. You know, she talks about vulnerable leadership and you know, I could not be more of a fangirl of her, but um, I, 
think people hopefully in my team would say they connect to me because I will always give them that space to be safe uh, to be vulnerable when they need to be um, and to not be afraid of talking about it and that makes our team really powerful and really connected and um, but also being really open about things so yeah thanks for sharing that's that's um, really powerful is there anything that you any piece of advice you could offer a leader who wasn't quite ready to take that step yeah. or wants to but doesn't quite know how to do that I think two things to say is one it took me a long time uh, but you also don't have to have your own story to feel like you can take the step mm. um, just because I've got a let's say in a medical book a, cl- a classified condition it doesn't mean I, let's say I didn't there are people in my life close to me who have gone through various different things that may not even be mental health related but have suffered in some way or have had a speed bump moment that have meant they need to reflect on it Um, they are powerful in themselves I always use um, athletes like I watched the Usain Bolt documentary on Netflix the other day which I highly recommend but you never hear hear any athlete go I'm amazing there's nothing wrong with me because (laughs) they wouldn't be a world champion with you know personal bests if they were it's the ability to recognize the things they need to improve on sometimes to their detriment too harsh like mine Uh, my critical voice is my imposter syndrome and critical voice can be very strong but it's also what's got me here Mm. and it's finding that balance so I'd say even if you can't find your own story again go and find it in somebody else because it'll help you be able to connect to it in a way that means you can talk to other people about it. Mm. There will always be something, and the only other thing I'd say, which is slightly tangential, is if there's somebody that is close to you that's suffering, you know, I I see how it impacted my parents. Yeah, it's really tough. It's really tough being on the other side of it when you're not in control of what that person's doing to themselves. So recognise that you might be feeling it too, and that's vulnerability in and of itself. Yeah. Amazing. Thank, thank you, Megan, for sharing that. It's really um, powerful. So, back to you. Who's, who's inspired you? Who's influenced you in your yeah. life career? So, I've mentioned my dad, who is my best mate. Aww. And he'll love me saying that, and it's true. <laughs> I, hand on heart. Um, you know, my dad worked so hard to give me the life that I have now. I was really lucky, but you know I did all the things I wanted to do I did played music I went to uh, theatre I did theatre school on the weekend I went to a brilliant school and but I never realized at the time the um the but it is a but I suppose it was a financial burden that put on my parents um but I can see how that value has really instilled it in me I don't do everything I do a lot for myself of course because I want to learn every day and that's why I love my job but I'm also doing it for the future family that I want to have. And that value that my dad has given me has been just so inbuilt in how I am. And my dad truly is that inspiration to me. Um, the other person in my family that's been an incredible inspiration for me is my grandfather, my dad's dad. Um, he, uh, I always used to describe him as a bit Victorian. I probably shouldn't say that, but it's true. He was really tough, right? I think that generation where I was born in like 1920-something, I should know the year. I think he would have been 100 this year. Um, but he was in uh, he was in the Air Force during World War II um, and was shot down in France at 18 and got taken 
to a uh, prisoner of war camp in Paris and was sold out to the Gestapo and got taken uh, wrongly to um, a concentration camp called Buchenwald, which is in um, southwest Germany. And that experience of being there for what I believe was about five months, he'd lost half his body weight, you know, the journey at 18, his mother had got a telegram saying, you know, lost, assumed dead, obviously had a huge impact on the way he saw life. And I think there's a value that's in my family, which is all about, you know, just live, live, it sounds simple, but live life to the full because you just don't know when something extreme or different is going to happen. And my, my granddad, you know, had moments of like, no, we don't need to buy the coffee. We can go home and have it because he grew up in that well, I didn't have any food when I was in that place, so why do I need to go and have it there? But ultimately it meant family always came first because you never know what's going to happen. And two, that if you put in the graph, something good's going to come out of it. Um, and that's what's true. I truly, I believe they're the two people for me that have really inspired me um, in how I think about um, my life. And if I ever get to a point where I go, oh, this is really difficult, I genuinely go, well, it's not as bad as that. The other person that does that for me is my sister, who is younger than me, uh, much more intelligent than me, and is a uh, psychiatrist. Um, and I regularly ring her and go, <laughs> Becky, tell me, tell me about your day. I need to hear something. And she'll go, oh, you know, I had to section this person today because they were really unwell because they were in psychosis. And I'm like, that makes my day sound a lot better, thanks. <laughs> While she was on A&E in triage having to deal with the that, next person. That meeting in. wasn't so bad. Yeah, that meeting wasn't so bad. And that sounds, again, really simple, but it does put life into context when you have those moments. So as you can see, family is such a critical part to me. But I've also worked for some incredible people that do allow me to be uh, my true self, my old boss, Joe, that Amy introduced me to. Um, such an inspirational leader really pushed the boundaries of what a people function was in a really innovative creative way was the heart of setting the business strategy and I look back on what I learned from her in terms of the relationship she held in the organization and I'll never forget those moments because ultimately that's when I learned the most and to, uh, to anyone that says you know I I don't know where I'm learning go and find those people in the organization that are going to help you do that because for me certainly Joe was one of those people that really pushed has made me a much more rounded HR professional as a result of being around her brilliant and for anyone that's listening uh, Megan has written a lovely blog on her experience about her grandfather so I would uh, we'll put it in the notes actually so you can maybe um, have a read yeah. as well as listening to the we visited Buckerwell back in October last year uh, for anyone that has any sort of history in the, I mean go anyway because my goodness the history around it is just staggering um, and haunting but also very cathartic and uh, I think my dad in particular felt very at peace for going there because it felt like it was um, being as close to Popper as what we called him as uh, he could ever be again so yeah highly recommend yeah fab so if you were to give your, your younger self a piece of advice what, what would it be? <laughs> Uh, I still give myself this advice, so uh, but certainly look back and go, gosh, I was so hard on myself, I still am hard on myself, but I think the two things I'd say are, be kinder to yourself, because even when it's going wrong, something right will come of it, and that you're better than you believe you are, you just have to trust yourself a bit more, and that trust 
only comes from within it doesn't come from all that validation from other people telling you you're brilliant because frankly it for me at least went one ear and out went in one ear and out the other <laughs> um but ultimately people do want you to do really well there are very few people out here there that want you to fail and if they do i would suggest you don't spend much time with them anymore um, <laughs> but even if you don't believe it people want you to do really well i would say that about when people go into interviews or they're worried about that meeting nobody wants you to fail everyone wants you to do well out of it and so if you can believe that alongside recognizing you're great and that's why you're in the room i think if i'd done that years ago i i don't think i'd be any different now but i think i probably would have enjoyed it more yeah yes yeah <laughs> would have had quite so many bad nights yeah exactly the nights got sleeping worrying about something <laughs> a meeting that didn't go very well when actually it was probably absolutely fine <laughs> <laughs> and let's flip it on its head. What would your 16-year-old self say to you now? Ooh. I think... I think I probably... I think I would say you've gone further than you ever thought you could. 60-year-old um, me... I mean, also sometimes that um, putting in the hard work did, did count. You know, some people say GCSEs didn't matter. I worked so hard for my GCSEs, sad soul that I was. But ultimately, all of those little moments did make a big difference in the end. And I'm very, like, deferential to myself about some of the big things I've achieved. But whenever I mention, like, you know, that I work across a year or I work to number 10, people always go, oh, my God. And so I think 16-year-old me would go, you've gone way further than you ever thought you could, and isn't that amazing? So, um... I, I think it's worth it. It's helped me reflect, actually, in, in preparation for this, that um, I think I'd be really proud of myself. Well, I know I am proud of myself, but I would definitely be more proud of myself then. Um, but yeah, the, I definitely, 60-year-old me, would not have thought the journey would have been this, put it that way. <laughs> and there's still loads more journey to have. Exactly, so much more. Yeah, who knows? But it's, it's just a ride to go on now, rather than... Uh, trying to structure it out no more GCSEs hopefully god no <laughs> thank you so much Megan for being vulnerable honest inspiring you authentic you um, I genuinely enjoy all of our interactions that we have and I hope that everybody has got something to take away from this podcast I know I've got many things even though I've known you for so long <laughs> um, and I genuinely for anybody that's listening I really do um, want to signpost them to your blogs because I think they are really great to, to read so thank you so much for your time thank you for having me it's been really fun